Yep, that's what I say too. Wow. <laughs> that was really, really good. That is Young Men and Chantel You, And uh, they are uh, a blessing and encouraging us with your gifts and talents. If you'd like more of that, this Wednesday at the Emmanuel Episcopal Church in Petoskey, this Wednesday night, 7.30, free concert. Uh, you'll hear lots of young men and Chantel. And uh, it's called One Language, Six Genres. Ooh, I sound, sound smart when I say that word, yeah. Genre, yes. Anyway, if you'd like more of that, uh, appreciate that. They just got married this last summer. They met, in case you didn't catch it, they met at the uh, Wheaton College Music Department, right? A little, little love going on there uh, yeah, in, in the music department there. Uh, we had a little, little problem with uh, computers crashing and such, so uh, hold up a bulletin. Show me that you got it, okay? I got a challenge for you. You're going to need to read it this time. We're not, uh, our, uh, our bulletin sort of got lost in, uh, in cyberspace somewhere. Did you notice their new, new cover? Brand new cover by uh, graphic designer Philip Lowe, one of us. Thanks, Phil, for using your talents with us. Uh, so anyway, you read lots of good stuff there. Uh, we'll uh, assume that you are able to do that. Uh, on the Loving Like Jesus uh, front, uh, first report was about an Awana worker who's always encouraging and thanking me for serving. This person makes me feel valuable, and I'm grateful for this person loving me like Jesus. It means a lot to me, uh, is what the report said. So, uh, well done, Awana worker, well done. Uh, second report was about a couple of secret donut Santas. It's donut Santas. Uh, and here's what the report said. They showed up early. Uh, one Sunday with donuts and personally thanked each of the people who were preparing to lead the church family in worship that Sunday. What a kind act of caring for those who are serving us. Well done, secret donut Santas. Nice job. You know who you were. Okay. Uh, hopefully that was Johann, so that's all I got to say. Uh, third report uh, was from a guest. So this is kind of good when the guests are starting to get in on the action. Uh, a guest from another state, we won't mention the state because we're a little sore at the people from Ohio right now. Uh, anyway, uh, reported that a young man in third grade spotted a wheelchair-bound third grader eating lunch all by themselves. So this third grader now sits with this person in the wheelchair each day at lunch likes to talk with her, likes to make her laugh. Uh, the report was, this third grader has a loving heart, just like Jesus. So thank you for that report, even if we're a little sore at you this week, right? Uh, yeah, well done. And the final Loving Like Jesus report uh, concerns a young gal who's befriended a little boy in her class, and this little boy has autism. Uh, previously, this girl's father had to show up every lunch and every recess to kind of settle uh, this, this little boy down. But now this young lady has reached out to him. Now they're friends. Now she's got her friends joining in, caring, and being friendly. 
And they've actually discovered that this young man is actually a lot of fun to hang around with. That's loving like Jesus. Don't you agree? That's good stuff. So keep up the good work. We need your reports. Please uh, either get them in on the web address there or we have the Loving Like Jesus box. You can fill it out in if you're old school. We are in week number 11 today. We're uh, journeying through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. If you have uh, the story, it starts on page 145. That's the tool that we're using to work in 31 Sundays from Genesis to Revelation. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, the prophet Samuel is told to go to Bethlehem. Uh, I've rejected God, uh, Saul as king, God tells Samuel. Uh, so now we're going to choose a new king. We're going to anoint the next king. He's not going to be king immediately, but uh, we're going to anoint him, and he's going to know he's on the way to be the next king. Saul's on his way out. So uh, Samuel comes to the house of Jesse. That's Ruth and Boaz's grandson, if you recall, a few weeks ago. And Samuel says, Jesse, bring all your sons uh, with you. First uh, Samuel 16:5, and the first one to appear is the oldest, Eliab. Uh, he looks like a king. Uh, Samuel's impressed. Uh, you chose this tall, handsome guy, Saul. Surely the next king's going to be this tall, handsome dude, Eliab. And the Lord says, no, whispers to Samuel, that's, that's not the next king. And then there's this great verse. This is underlying worthy, memorizing worthy verse. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. If you're short, vertically challenged, this should be like one of your favorite verses, right? Uh, just because they're tall, I've rejected those folks. Anyway, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? What does the Lord care about? Just a wonder. The Lord's concerned about our hearts. That's a really good thing for all of us to remember. Uh, chapter 16, verses 8 to 10, all seven of David's brothers parade before Samuel. Uh, next up, Abinadab, Lord. And I'm sure the Lord said, that's an awful name for a king. No, he can't be king. Uh, anyway, works through all the brothers. Now, Samuel knows that the king is a part of Jesse's household. So he's getting a little impatient, a little ticked. What's going on? Is this all of them? Uh, and then we see verse 11. Um, well, there's the baby. We got the baby boy, the youngest, uh, but he's just a boy and he's out watching sheep. So that can't be the one, right? That can't. David was so off of his father Jesse's radar that it never even occurred to him that he should be invited to come and, and go before Samuel. Never even was on his father's radar for him to even consider that his youngest might be Israel's next king. So uh, they scramble. They send a servant to fetch David. David comes running into the house. Okay, he's been out. Uh, probably hasn't had a shower in a while. His hair is messed up. He's sweaty. 
He smells like sheep. Uh, I'm sure he's got some uh, sheep dung on the bottom of his sandals. You got the picture here? Comes running into the house, and uh, now he's uh, standing before Samuel, and here's what the Lord whispers to Samuel. He's the one. That's the next king. It's not Eliab. That's who you thought it was. You thought it was Eliab, but, uh, and it certainly isn't uh, what, that, what his father Jesse was thinking. It's David, the unassuming 15, 16-year-old young boy is going to be the next king of Israel. Think about it. You're 15. Got any 15, 16-year-old young men here? Anybody willing to hold? Yeah. Think about it. That, that's the next king of Israel. And after he's anointed before his dad and his seven brothers, slide down to 16, 19. What do you suppose he does next? This is interesting. What do you do after you get anointed king? 16, 19 tells us. He goes back out and he watches the flocks. He goes back out and does what he's always been doing. He's just going to go and watch the family sheep. It's going to be another... 13, 14, 15 years before he actually officially becomes king of Israel. He, he's back out in the fields. He's being faithful. He's doing the small things. Uh, he's probably writing out some of the songs that we call psalms. He's getting pretty good with that slingshot, and that's probably a good thing because if you go to the next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17, the Philistines have gathered in the Valley of Elah. Uh, been to the Valley of Elah, haven't you, Pastor Brandt? Uh, the Valley of Elah uh, is this place in uh, southern Israel. And, and now you've got on one side the Philistines and their champion. What was their champion's name? Goliath. And then you've got all of the children of Israel and Saul and the Lord's army on the other side. And everyone, chapter 17 Verse 11, if you look at it, everyone is dismayed and terrified. Dismayed. They're looking at this nine-foot-plus-tall human fighting machine, and they're thinking, not me. It's not going to be me. Uh, and then 17-year-old David, chapter 17, verse 26, asks this question. Who is this Philistine who's defying the armies of the living God? We were going to say it today. Who does this guy think he is? We're serving God Almighty, and now this guy's defying God. He's defying God's armies. Um, here's what David says, verse 32, to uh, Saul. Don't lose heart, King Saul. I'm willing to fight him. In verse 33, here's what Saul says back. Uh, Thanks, kid, but you're just a boy. You're just like 16, 17 years old. You're just a boy. And here's what David says back. Relax, Saul. I've been fighting lions and bears for years. If the Lord protected me from the wild beasts, the Lord will protect me from this Philistine. So now David heads out. And I'm sure the, the crowds watching on the sidelines, this is exactly what it looks like to them. Uh, you got the little boy versus Mount Olympus of a man, and, and it's just not a fair fight. It, it's not going to go well. So what does David do? He runs quickly, it says, and finds five smooth stones uh, near the riverbed. Uh, 
smooth stones fly better. They fly straighter. Uh, commentators tell us, why did he get five? Uh, we're told that Goliath had four brothers. So in case after he knocked down Goliath, if the four brothers want to get involved, he's got a stone for each one of them. Uh, slide down to verse 49. Um, it says that he takes his sling. Uh, a sling would be uh, two, three to four foot long strips of leather. Got a little leather pouch in the middle. Uh, that's where you place the rock. You wind it up, and at just the right time, you release one of the strings and the rock flies. And I'm told, if you know how to do it, that rock flies at over 100 miles an hour. So uh, that's what David was used to. That's what he was good at. One stone, forehead, the mountain crashes to the ground. And uh, he's on his uh, face probably, just does a face plant. Uh, and the sword that the giant was trusting in uh, is used by David to finish off the unconscious Goliath. So pretty impressive chapter, wouldn't you say? Uh, go to the next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 18. Uh, David joins Saul's army and he's doing great. He's successful in everything he does. And everybody is singing David's praise. Uh, and as they return, look at verse 6. The, the women gather and uh, they're going to sing uh, one of the songs of victory. And they're singing a little tune. And uh, I had some time to fast and pray this past week. And I think I've got the tune down to verse 6. Okay, so, so here we go. You ready? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Kind of sounds like Chantel, don't you think? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And David his tens of thousands. Okay. And I'm having a concert Tuesday night, right here. And from that stupid song, and it really was, it was a stupid song. Look at verse 6. Jealousy took root in the heart of King Saul. And let me just say, usually the stuff that makes us jealous and envious is just plain stupid and petty and small. David had been fighting on behalf of King Saul. Uh, David was, was King Saul's best fighter, soldier, general. Slide down to verse 11, chapter 18. Saul is so jealous and petty and fearful of David that he attempts to pin the spear on David twice. He's going to kill him. That's how jealous, that's how frightened he is. And, and David is there to minister to him, to help him with his depression. And, and I'm just telling you, the guy is over the top. Uh, chapter 19, verses 9 and 10 Saul again attempts to drive a spear through David. This time, David, now it's like the third time that Saul has tried to kill him. He says, you know what? I don't think this guy likes me. <laughs> he's, he's a little slow on the uptake there. Uh, so he says, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to run, and he escapes with his life, and uh, he's, he's running. And, and the rest of 1 Samuel, David is on the run. And uh, chapter 
20 and chapter 22, David and Jonathan form a friendship. That's Saul's oldest son, uh, the one who really was in line to be the next king. This is an amazing friendship. And yet he still loves and cares and looks out for his friend David. And he does all that he can to protect his friend David. Uh, chapters 23 to 30 of 1 Samuel, it's pretty much David hiding out and Saul chasing him. So Saul's trying to kill him like uh, uh, the uh, roadrunner uh, running away and the coyotes trying. He got pretty much that going on for the next 10 years. So for 10 years, David is on the run, running from one cave to another, trying to get away from Saul. Uh, but it all ends, chapter 31, if you want to go there in your Bibles, it all ends uh, because the Philistines attack Israel and the oldest son, Jonathan, David's good friend, is killed along with two of Saul's other sons. Chapter 31, verse 3, the Philistine archers wound Saul critically. Chapter 31, verse 4, Saul falls on his own spear and dies. Okay? So uh, move on. We'll go to the next book, 2 Samuel chapter 1. Mourning and sadness for Saul and Jonathan. And that's what chapter 1 is all about. Uh, chapter 2 of 2 Samuel, uh, David at age 30 is officially now the second king of Israel. But not all of the kingdom buys into David being the next king. There's still some diehards who still like Saul and think that his remaining son should be the next king. So there's some fighting going on, chapters 3 and 4. That all gets uh, worked out. Now David, chapter 5, 2 Samuel, is the king over all of Israel. Got it? David's the king, and he's 30 years old. It's been 14 years since Samuel anointed him way back when he was 16, 15 years old. Uh, and now he decides, we're going to take the new capital city for ourselves. And he literally takes the city of Jerusalem and makes that the new capital city. Now for 40 years, during Saul's reign as king, the ark of the Lord is gathering dust in a barn of a guy named Abinadab. Okay? Uh, so think about it. 40 years, the presence of God Almighty is like between probably like a boat and an RV. I got a little bit of room out in the back. Yeah, yeah let's put the ark in there, in, in my shed, in my barn. And literally 40 years, the, the presence of the Shekinah glory of God, the symbol is out there in a barn. David says, you know what? My first act as king, I'm going to change that. We're not going to leave that, the ark of God, in a barn. We're going to bring it to a place, to the city of God. I want all of Israel to know God Almighty, Jehovah God, His, His presence is, is with us. So this is an exciting time. David gathers his entire army, likely, 30,000 men, and says, let's go get the ark and bring it back home. Bring it back to the capital city. Would you stand with me if you're able? We're going to read about this exciting parade. David hastily arranges this, this parade, and they're going to march, and they're going to bring the ark back to where it belongs. Verse 1, let's read together. 
David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bela in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who's enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. Let's pray. Lord, uh, it would have been an exciting time to be a part and to have witnessed that. Thank you, Lord, for uh, recording for us the lessons that we need to learn from, from your book. And Lord, uh, as we read of this excitement and anticipation of David and 30,000 of his men on this parade, Lord, uh, things are about to change. Things are about to get real serious and somber in a hurry. So would you teach us lessons this morning, specifically from uh, this event? Would you show us, Lord, uh, the things that each of us needs to learn from and be aware of from Second Samuel chapter 6? We realize, Lord, your word is profitable to teach and train and correct and rebuke. And Lord, you know where each of us are at. So would you take your word and use it in each of our lives as it's needed? May the power of your word and the power of your spirit be welcome today in your church. And all the church family at Wallen Lake said with one strong voice, you can be seated. Hot water. Hot water. Because every time I drink out of something other than a water bottle, everybody asks, you got coffee there? Nope. I already have my coffee down. First Samuel chapter 4, I need to give you a little history of what's going on here. The Jews under Eli's wicked sons, anybody know what Eli's wicked sons were? They, they were bad dudes. We read about that this week. Hophni and Phinehas. Yeah, Hophni and Phineas. Not many babies named Hophni or Phineas these days, have you noticed? Uh, they'd taken the ark of the Lord into battle against the Philistines. And they sort of took it like a good luck charm, okay? Uh, we're a little worried about this battle and we think we might lose, so let's take the ark of the Lord. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Anyway, they take it into battle and the Philistines cream them, wipe them out, they capture the Ark of the Lord and they take the Ark of the Lord as a symbol of their victory back to Philistine territory. So, this is kind of funny. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, they set uh, the Ark of the Lord next to their big god, Dagon, and they all go to bed and they wake up the next morning and Dagon did a face plant in the night. He says, hmm, that's strange. We've never seen Dagon 
go down like that. So they prop Dagon back up. Uh, and the next morning they wake up, and this time Dagon's not only done another face plant, but his head is broken off, and the hands of Dagon are broken off. Uh, suddenly now they're not real happy about having the Ark of the Lord. Uh, and, and pretty soon the people in the city are coming down with tumors. Uh, some Hebrew uh, scholars suggest the word tumors actually could mean hemorrhoids. Uh, just saying. Uh, so anyway, they all come out with tumors or whatever the else could be. Uh, and, and now the entire city now is having this problem. And they say, uh, get that ark out of here. <laughs> get it. So they pass it on to the next city. And sure enough, they all start having tumors. And now they're saying, you take it, Gath. And Gath's saying, we don't want it. Uh, and, and they decide we're going to give the ark back. Just give it back. It's not worth it. We don't want the, this Jehovah God, the presence, the ark of... We don't want it in, in our area. So they put the ark on a new cart, and they hitch it to the cows, and they say, moo, moo. I'm sure that's just how they did it. Moo. And, and, and the cows just start marching toward the nation of Israel. Um, so here's what's kind of interesting. Um, 6.19 of 1 Samuel, uh, the ark winds up in Beth Shemesh. Beth Shemesh. Now, can you imagine? You see two cows, and they're marching in, and they got this golden uh, ark, and, and they got these presents. The Philistines said, we better, we better do... So they made golden tumors in the back, and they said, we got, we got to do something, so they leave us alone. And... Uh, Anyway, they open up in 619 the ark and they look inside. What is it? We have not seen it. And 70 residents of Beth Shemesh are struck stone cold dead. Okay? So that's the background. They, they open it up. Didn't know, or maybe they did and they did it anyway. Uh, just kind of interested, uh, kind of nosy. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1, everybody's afraid now of the ark. I'm, a, I'm not touching it. So Abinadab takes the ark, and for the next 60 years, um, the place, the symbol of God's Shekinah glory, is put in, in Abinadab's barn. Understand? So the, the ark is now in Abinadab's barn, and uh, now David, chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, is saying, we're not leaving that ark, the symbol of God's presence and power, in that shed any longer. So 30,000 men are dancing and worshiping and praising the Lord as they bring the Ark of the Lord back into a place of prominence in the new capital city of Israel, Jerusalem. Okay, uh, It's exciting. Everybody's enthusiastic. Now look at verse 6. Everything's about to change. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. Verse 7, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. You talk about a mood killer. <laughs> you talk about a killjoy, literally, for Uzzah, right? 
How many of you, let's vote on this, how many of you think this seems a bit harsh? Can I see your hands? Seems like it's a bit harsh. Why? Because they had good intentions, right? They were enthusiastic. They were excited. They were doing a good thing. Slide down to verse 8. King David is angry. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. So he's angry. Uh, We were just doing a good thing, Lord. We, We were just bringing the ark to the place that it belonged, and now you've rained on our parade. And David is ticked. Slide down to verse 9. He's more than ticked. It says he's not just angry. David was afraid of the Lord that day. How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Are you going to kill me too? I'm afraid. So, so I'm angry at you, Lord, and I'm afraid of you all the same time. So verse 10 tells us that uh, he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took her to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Um, David changes his mind. I'm not bringing the ark back. Uh, I'm mad at you, Lord. I'm afraid of you, Lord. Uh, So who's willing? uh, Obed-Edom, the Gittite. He'll take it. And he does. He does. David's intentions and his motives were good. He wanted the symbol of God's presence and power back front and center in front of God's people. That's a good thing. really is. The problem is that David was in a hurry. David was rushed. I think David was excited. He got the idea in his head. Hey, let's go get the ark. Let's take it back where it belongs. And he's excited to get it back in a place of prominence. But in his hurry... He forgot to read the book. Because if you have your Bible, you can turn to Exodus 25, verses 10 to 16. And in Exodus 25, verses 10 to 16, clear instructions on how you're to transport the ark of the Lord. Tracking with me? This isn't just, well, however it works out, grab the ark and take it. Exodus 25 says there's very clear way how you are to transport the ark of the Lord. And this is how you're supposed to transport it. The ark of God was to be carried on poles on the shoulders of priests. Tracking with me? So this is how you're supposed to do it. Very clear, very specific. Matter of fact, Numbers 4.15 warns, if anyone touches the ark of God you're going to die. And Uzzah would be exhibit A. Okay, Touched the ark of God. He died. David was in a hurry to get the ark to Jerusalem. So instead of taking his cues from God's word, track with me now, instead of seeing what God's word, the book of Exodus, the book of Numbers said, how do we transport it? Uh, he takes the lead of his pagan neighbors the Philistines. You following with me? He says, well, well, they brought it back on a cart with some ox. So he imitates their actions instead of doing it God's way. 
Instead of obeying the clear teaching of God's word, David takes a shortcut. David does it the easy way. David says, you know what, I'm excited, let's just do it. And he does it the easy way, the shortcut way. David was angry at God for Uzzah's death. Who really should David have been angry about Uzzah's death? Himself. David was responsible for causing the death of Uzzah. Uzzah just instinctively reached out to catch and steady the ark of the Lord. But David was too busy. He was too excited to dig into the word of God and take note of God's way to transport the ark of God. Now, some of you might argue right now, but, but Jeff, um, these people, they were sincere and they had good intentions. These people were enthusiastic and lots of emotion attached with what they were doing. You ready? If you're taking notes, here's the principle. When we are sincere and have good intentions, even if we have lots of good emotion and enthusiasm, if it doesn't line up with God's word, God will not, God cannot bless it. You tracking with me? But I'm sincere, but I have good intentions. But, but I'm excited. If it doesn't line up with God's word, God can't bless it. It's not going to succeed. God will never contradict his word. You understand? Uh, it will not succeed. We must be people of the, the book, the Bible, first and foremost. That's the principle here. Pastor Jeff, I've just met the greatest guy. Really? Tell me about him. Oh, he's going to be my husband. He's already asked me to marry him. Hmm, okay. Tell me about him. Uh, on and on and on and on and on. Gush, 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 gush. I, I, I didn't hear any, anything about him and Jesus. Could, could you tell me about this wonderful man in Jesus? Uh, well, he's really not a church guy. Okay? Tell me about him and Jesus. Uh, he, he, he just kind of believes that there is, you know, the, the great power in the sky. But he's really not much of a Jesus guy. Oh, okay. Second uh, Corinthians tells us not to be yoked together with unbelievers. Did you remember that? Yeah, but he's really nice and he's wonderful and he loves me and he's going to take really good care of me. And I'm pretty sure in time I'll win him to Jesus. You're about to touch the ark. You're about to touch the ark. You know what God's word says, and you're going to do it anyway. You got good intentions, and you're excited, and all sorts of good feelings, and everyone's telling you, you guys are going to be such a great couple. You're about to touch the ark. Pastor Jeff, my church is the woods. Uh, nothing personal, you know, I know you got a nice thing there, but, you know, I'm, I'm a hunter, and I like to fish, and I like to take walks, and me and the big guy, we, we do our church out in the woods. I really don't need a formal church. Me and Jesus are enough. Oh, okay. Um, well, Hebrews 10.25 says, not to give, the ha give up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. 
Uh, you need to come together and encourage each other, and you need the church family. Yeah, but, you know, I, I just don't like lots of people, and I don't like crowds. Uh, and uh, and uh, no, you need to come and be a part of God's plan to reach and change the world today. And what's God's plan to reach and change the world today? Anybody? Help me out. Yeah, it's, it's the local church. So you're saying you know what God's Word says, and you've got good intentions, and you've got good feelings, but you're just going to do it your way, and you're going to do it exactly opposite of what God's Word says you should be doing. Pastor Jeff, uh, I just listened to this amazing podcast. This has happened three times in my office. And the preacher says, I don't have to pay taxes anymore. And it's amazing, because he said that Jesus is my king, and Jesus is the one who I should be giving. So I just want you to know, I'm going to be giving extra to Jesus and his kingdom, and I'm not paying any more taxes to Washington or Lansing anymore. Romans 13.6, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Verse 7, give to everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. Three times I quoted that. I promise you this is true. Three times they said, I don't have to. All three of those gentlemen wound up in prison. Why? You're touching the ark. You know what God's word says, and you say, I'm going to do this anyway. You're touching the ark. You're about to get burned. Whatever your plan, I don't care how brilliant or inspired or enthusiastic about it that you might be, if it doesn't line up with God's word, it's going to burn you. Are you tracking? It's not going to work. You're touching the ark. Your plan cannot and will not long-term succeed. Why not? Because it contradicts God's Word. Back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Let's finish. Verse 11. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Obed, Edom's son, who was failing in school, made the deeds list. His wife inherited a ranch from a distant relative she didn't even know she had. Obed, Edom's daughter, scored the winning goal for Team Israel. Uh, Three of the servants of Obed-Edom who were childless suddenly get pregnant. Do you understand? Everything going on in that household is blessed. The presence of the Lord is, is blessing Obed-Edom, the Gittite's household. So verse 12, word gets back to King David. Great things are going on at Obed-Edom's house. Let's go and get that ark. They've waited three months now. David's mad. David's afraid. He says, I think we're going to go get it. Slide down to verse 13. This time, they're going to go get the ark. Do you think that maybe this time David does his homework? If you look at verse 13, 
Um, and Chronicles makes it even clear they carry the ark of the Lord this time. They bring the ark back to Jerusalem the biblical way. This time David said, you know what? I, I, I was following the Philistines' lead last time. That worked awful. This time I'm going to do it according to the owner's manual. And it works great. And the ark is brought back. And you can read the rest of Second Samuel. Uh, exciting time. Uh, David's bride isn't so happy about his excitement. You can read, by the way, he wasn't naked. Uh, he just took off his kingly robe. Track with me. He was, just, he was just literally excited and dancing and worshiping before the Lord as a man, not as the king, as a servant of God Almighty. So he, he wasn't naked. He just took off his robe. Um, let, me, let me close this way. It's tempting and natural and even understandable at times to be in a hurry. And especially when you get a good idea that's going to have good results and you've got good intentions with it, it's, it's just normal for us to hurry up and let's just do this good thing. To be flippant and casual and be in a hurry and look for a shortcut rarely, if ever, is God's way. I've just discovered rarely, if ever, is the easy shortcut way God's way. You tracking with me? And I'm coming at you, I'm just being honest now, I'm sanguine and I'm phlegmatic in my personality, which means uh, sanguine is let's do it the fun way, and phlegmatic is let's do it the easy way. So I'm always looking for fun and easy, okay? Let's do it the fun way, let's do it the easy way, let's do it the fun way, let's do it the easy way. Uh, so I've realized over the years now, rarely, rarely is God's way the easy way. Uh, I've learned, and I'm still learning, it's much more important to do it the biblical way. My, my prayer for all of us, even when we get in a hurry, even when we have good intentions, let's be people of the book. Most important, let's do it God's way. Let, let's do it according to the owner's manual. Amen? Bow your heads. Touch your eyes. Lord, thank you for the clarity and the power of your word. And uh, it's much clearer and much easier to understand than uh, many would like it to be. We realize, Lord, that living our lives in alignment with your book is always, always the best way. Even when it's hard, even when it's inconvenient. And I want to pray for my friends, the church family here at Walloon, Lord. Help us to automatically be people who are thinking, what does your word have to say about the matter? What does your book have to say about this issue? Lord, I just pray that we would automatically tune our hearts and our minds to what everything we're facing, how it lines up or doesn't line up, with 
your word. Lord, I pray that our emotions and our feelings and our enthusiasm will always be the caboose. Lord, may your word, may the owner's manual always be the engine. Thank you again for your book. Please apply these words to each and every person, each and every individual setting and situation in a very specific way. We ask this in the awesome name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.